Do you think UFOs, the paranormal, weird history, cryptozoology, and outsider art are pretty darn cool? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to High Strangeness with your host, Steve Berg. Hello, friends. Welcome to High Strangeness. And tonight I have a good buddy, AP Strange, on. AP, say hello, please. Hello, please. Look at that. Great. Listen, you are going to be warmed by the dulcet tones. You have a very nice timber, sir. You should do a voiceover. Uh, yeah, I probably should. It, it would you be should. working, you know. <laughs> it would. <laughs> I've had some voiceover jobs. It's nice to show up to work in sweatpants. Yeah. Um, I, it's th- I, I, I've gotten comment, comments and compliments about my voice, and it. it's funny because I was always a little self-conscious of it, but I think it... it carries well on on a microphone better you know it does it does and not to get too off the off tangent but i've been hearing about these you can make pretty good money reading books off amazon like amazon does a thing where they're like kindle i think hires or maybe it's not kindle it's probably um what do you call it Uh, it doesn't matter i'm not doing an ad for them but like i think i have a friend who does and he's like it's not bad the money's pretty good it's kind of fun to do i'm like "Hmm, interesting yeah. Anyways, I've, I've thought about actually. I talked about that on a different show. It would be really cool to do audiobook versions of like fourteen books that are out of print, and the copyrights wow. expired, but nobody's reprinting them. If that could, is an amazing idea. Yeah, because um, there's the guy. I think Mark Hartsman. I think he's the guy behind it that does. Uh, he he does. He reprints books that where the copyrights have expired. So like crazy really? old things like psychophone messages or um, a book about a talking pig, you know? <laughs> yes, please. But, I I mean, it, that's what I want on a road trip is like, you know, especially like those kind of really outsider 40 mm-hmm. books. There's 40 books and then there's the outsider 40 books that are like self-published. And those right. are pretty juicy when you can find them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got yeah, a few white you're, whales you're that I'm quite looking the book for. collector. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's my main thing is I'm always hunting books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find these is... super obscure ones that I'm always hunting for, you know, and I can't always get what I want, but I'm I'm always looking. <laughs> it's you know it's really hard. I feel like I've had like I feel like in the last couple of years a lot of the ones I really wanted have been reprinted, mm-hmm. and so I've been kind of lucky. So I, I can't think of like a Fordian white whale right now that I in terms of a book. I've got a couple that. Are are killing me right now. So, <laughs> well, hit me up with your list, and I'll keep my eye open too. Yeah. Well, if any of the listeners like, I absolutely require a book called uh, "Hands: A True Case Study." Uh, it's got a longer title than that, but so it's about um, this channeled entity that is like a giant hand made out of hands. It's got like. <laughs> what it's just kind of like an octopoid sort of thing only it's just five limbs on on a body and each at the end of each limb is a hand and the book is called hands yes i discovered the existence of this book just from an ad in old fate magazine and i put it i put the picture in the radio mysterioso group group and um on facebook and got a lot of good commentary greg bishop kind of filled me in on the details did he like, have I, it? He has it. Yeah. Yeah, of course he does. Of course he and, does. Uh, his, his his library is formidable. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. It's beautiful. 
and I'm like, I absolutely need a copy of this book. I, I found some excerpts from it and stuff, but the only copy I can find on eBay right now is like 250 bucks. And that's I don't, too much. That's I don't have much. that kind of scratch right now. No, 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 no. But even if I did, it's like, I mean, you know, there's a point there's, you know, I would feel guilty. a lot. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day I got, I, I, I did spend 250 bucks, or I think around, actually it may have been closer to 200 to buy an old Passport to Magonia before it got reprinted. Because mm-hmm. I had to have that. Like like you said, I absolutely required that in my library. Yeah. <clears throat> well, my man, um, it is so good to have you on. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very blessed. Um, so uh, what's been going on and what, what's tripping your trigger these days in the 40 world? I, I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people are into all the, you know, the new government drops with UFOs. But uh, I mean, you know, at a certain point, that gets pretty boring and pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much immediately bored with that. Um, Me too. Same here. Same here. If a sentence I was starts trying to feign with, a little interest. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, a, if the sentence starts with Lou Elizondo, I'm just like, yeah, no, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just not for me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um I mean, for me personally, I've been I've been writing a lot more lately than ever before. I started writing yes, for Paranormal you... Paranormality magazine. That is a great magazine. That is a great magazine. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, it's the kind of magazine that I always wish exists, you know. And then now it does, you know. Yeah, it does. You still have fourteen times, but I mean, a subscription to that is pretty expensive here in the states. Uh. <laughs> it's a very expensive magazine. I've never had a subscription just simply because I, I was like, oh, that's a lot. Right. <laughs> you know? right. And I mean, fate still exists in some form, but I, I really like the old fate, like, you know, the really yeah. classic magazine. And I collect those as well as my books. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Are, are, are those fairly reasonable to buy back issues of? Yeah. Well, actually, if you go on the fate website, they have some. But if you search eBay and stuff, uh, you know, you can find them for like five to ten dollars an issue, sometimes cheaper. Sometimes people have full lots full of them that, you know, get ten for seven dollars or something. Well, that's not bad at all. I found a box of 50 of them at my favorite bookstore and managed to snag that. I don't remember how much I paid for it now, but. I bought the whole box. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, well, see, but you know what? That that is great, actually. Your because I, I always kind of think like I, I sadly I'll admit I do buy probably ninety five percent of my forty in books online, you know, mm-hmm. through Amazon through very boring means. But I do miss the adventure of going out and getting books, especially like it seems like you're also kind of stumbling upon like awesome nuggets, you know, in, in these stores. Like, did you I know do, they yeah. had the fate collection there? No, but um, it's, it's my favorite bookstore that's within driving distance. You know, mm-hmm. I have two bookstores that are like an hour away from where I live in oh, kind of separate directions that I can go to that I know are going to have really good, weird books. Ooh, that's so great. I need to set aside the time to drive an hour out there and kind of like plan my day around going out that way. Right, but, um, right. Uh, yeah, periodically I'll go to Gray Matter Books in Hadley, Massachusetts, or the old Book Bear in West Brookfield, Massachusetts. And they, mm. they have, they, they curate their weird book section, you know? So that's otherwise. 
otherwise I just have really good luck when I go to regular old used bookstores, um, yard sales, flea markets, that kind of thing. Didn't you, I, I heard you somewhere mention that you had, uh, oh gosh, maybe it was the guy who wrote the goblin universe. Yeah. Ted holiday, Ted holiday. Do you have that book? I do. That was my white whale before, and I finally got a copy of it. So, yeah, that's not an easy one to find right now, is it? Um, it hasn't been easy to find for years. So, Llewellyn published it as part of what they called their Sci Tech series. They were trying to get into a more paranormal bent with some of the books, aside from just like witchcraft and occult magic stuff. And I don't think that lasted very long. Maybe it didn't sell well enough. So, after they did that run. Llewellyn, as far as I understand, it still holds the rights to the Goblin universe, but they've never done a reprint of it. So the, the cover of that book is absolutely breathtaking. It's so cool, and it's um, so cool. As I understand it, uh, Lauren Coleman had a hand in that, like the book cover design and getting the imagery for that and putting it together. Ooh. So they hit Very him up cool. for um, illustrations to include in the book. So uh, he's not. He's not credited as much, but he was he, he was part of getting that book together for Llewellyn, short-term contract, I guess, to provide illustrations and captions for those. So, yeah, he, um, he kind of played a part in a lot of books that he wasn't directly involved in, though. You know, like but he he shepherded a lot of authors back in the day. Yeah, he's a he's a good man behind the scenes, you know, <laughs> for a lot of things, uh, yeah. uh, separate from his own his own oeuvre as a 4 yeah. writer, you know? <laughs> One thing so. I find so funny about him is that if somebody dies, he has like an obituary, like, like he's CNN or MSNBC or something like he has yeah, well, an obituary, like prepared for everyone. <laughs> yeah, he does. And like, well, he can just write one off the top of his head. Cause he just knows oh. all the people, you know, you're um, right. You're right. It's so yeah. funny. I mean, yeah. not that it's funny. It's more, but it's gallows humor, people. You know, I like a little, <laughs> I like a little dark happy. <laughs> Man, so I just like, you know, I was thinking about something today. And, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, talking to you later. And it seems like to me, and I'm, I don't want to like, you know, cast aspersions, but like you seem just, and I'm just noticing, because I, I, I learned about you, um, kind, of, kind of met you through Twitter. I, I, Saw some of your posts retweeted. I'm like, oh, this guy's really funny. And, you know, he seems like a guy who, like, kind of likes all weird stuff. Like, a true old-school Fordian. Mm-hmm. Right? Am, am, I, am, I, am I close? Am I warm there? Oh, yeah. No, you're right on the money. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm a pretty good all-purpose weirdo. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. You know, I definitely have my, my you know, my specialties in terms of, you know, historical knowledge, which probably UFOs is what I know the most about. But, uh. Yeah, me too. Like, because, like, I was thinking about today, I was going on a little walk. It was freezing in Nebraska. Good God, I, I ended up walking for like 19 minutes. It was miserable. But mm-hmm. I was thinking about the raining meat phenomenon and, like, you know, raining animals. And we still, every once in a while, will hear reports about, like, you know, it, like birds dropping out of the sky. But I kind of tend to think that might be more something that we're doing, <laughs> we're, you know, like. Right. Radio waves. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't want to get conspiratorial about what's happening to the birds. But <laughs> they already have yeah. enough problems. Some people think they don't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Uh, people are crazy. But I was wondering, like, the rain meat phenomena, that was a thing that, like, there were a couple cases in America, in the States, I know, 
No, yeah. like Kentucky. Yeah, the, Kentucky, yeah. obviously. Yeah, they. Yeah. Um, and then I think there was one. Wasn't there one in Maryland? Or am I making I, that up? Might be Maryland might or be. Delaware. Yeah, something. Yeah. I feel like somewhere on the East Coast. I remember reading that about that as a kid. But like, I loved stuff like that. Where's yeah, the, the where's things. the raining meat? AP is what I'm asking you. How do we what, like? What do we got to do to get some meat to rain down? Well, I'd rather have something like uh, I don't know, chocolate or donuts rain from the sky. That would be that better. would be nice. That would be <laughs> I would be that would be much more palatable. I don't think I have like an easy time. Although I'm putting it out there right now, I will promise everyone that if it does rain meat, I will try it. Of course, I'm going to cook it up and marinate and do something nice with it. You know, maybe a sear and then put it in the well, oven, you know. There was that one guy during the Kentucky Meat Shower that had tried it, I think, in, the, in yeah. the reports. He took a bite to see what it was. Yeah, and he didn't like it, right? <laughs> yeah, he said it wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yeah, it wasn't very good. And I actually think they have a piece of that material in a museum, if I'm oh, not mistaken. They? It might be Lexington. Uh, in Lexington or something, but it, it, they do supposedly have a shriveled up piece of the meat. Yeah, I, well, I remember they covered it on the uh, Penny Royal podcast. Right, that's what it. refreshed it for me too. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think yeah. Nathan said, and maybe maybe it was Transylvania University where he went to school. I think maybe it was. Anyways, uh, listen to Penny Royal; it's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to get that whole meat thing off my chest because I think I thought you know you'd be a guy. Who would maybe a either know of another meat story I'm not aware of, or you know would definitely just jive with it. It's it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not not specifically meat, but um, yeah, you know, all kinds of things have fallen from the sky, like coins. That's right. been a or stones. Uh, well, you know, you bring up that's that's a really good point. Do you think falling meat and even falling animals or fish does that kind of fall under the airport? Blank. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I never actually I never thought about that until now. That is kind of an apport situation. So an apport right. well, people if you will you explain could you do you feel comfortable explaining what an apport is? Sure. Uh apports are usually associated with pol- poltergeist activity. Um it's essentially just something appearing out of nowhere that doesn't belong there, you yeah. know. Uh, so often it'd be like something fell from the ceiling that shouldn't have because there was no way for it to be in the ceiling in the first place, you know? Yep. <laughs> but no no visible source for it. It just appears. So it, uh, I, I have a friend with a good abhorrent story. And it actually, she told me this. It was like probably like 15 years ago. And it's a good friend. And her husband now is kind of a famous comedian. I'm not going to say his name. But my right. friend, Rachel said they were in their apartment in Hollywood. Like, you know, Hollywood, she lived, like, just off Santa Monica and Vine area. Right in the velvet crotch of Hollywood. <laughs> a very seedy area. <laughs> that, that part and, um, but she said they were sitting there, and coins started, like, she said, like, a, a small handful of coins dropped on the glass coffee table. And they both, like, freaked out because it also made, like, such a loud noise. And they were like, what the hell, <laughs> you know? And she's had other experiences going, but that, she said that really freaked them out. And I'm like, what kind of coins are there? She was like pennies, nickels, was just kind of an array. They weren't like, you know, didn't look old. They looked like totally normal coins, just like kind of current and whatnot. 
And I asked her if she yeah. kept them, and she said, I don't know what I did with them. I'm like, really? Yeah, they might have disappeared again. Yeah, that's my experience with it is that they'll disappear and reappear. So, wait, have you had an poor experience? Sort of. I mean, I've had possessions of mine disappear or or reappear, and um, it's a it's a pretty weird pretty weird phenomena. Um, Really? Can you maybe share one? I'm very curious about this. Yeah, I mean, one of them I think is just really funny because it. It's the kind of uh, self-negating. Uh, it sounds so ridiculous that it that I must be making it up, but I'm really right. not. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so for my book collection, I had them organized in a way such that all of my paperbacks would have been kept in one of two places. I had two shelves that really, two shelving units where I would have kept paperback, like the trade paperbacks of right. um, mass market paperbacks of paranormal books. And I usually kept, if I had multiples by one author, I'd keep them together. So there was one day where I it came up in discussion, the Philadelphia experiment. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to grab my paperback copy of the Burlitz and Moore Philadelphia experiment book classic, to take a picture of. Classic. Yeah. To tweet in this thread, you know. Um, and it was no longer there. I found the Burlitz Bermuda Triangle book up on the shelf. So the Philadelphia experiment should have been right next to it. And it could, could have been no other place. I went to the other place where my paperbacks were, it wasn't there either. I hadn't read it in years, so it should have just been on the shelf. Um, and I boggled my mind. I'm like, I'm just missing this Philadelphia experiment book. So like a couple of weeks later, I, uh, go over there looking for something completely different. And there's the Philadelphia experiment back where it should be. Right Whoa. next to the Bermuda Triangle book. Um, so this is funny to me because the Philadelphia experiment, for anyone listening that's never heard of it before, was about a ship that was supposed to be made invisible by technology. Mm-hmm. The, the premise is that that um, back in the, the late fifties, right? Was it fifties? Yeah, 60s? Uh, I, th- I I think it was actually during or right after the end of World War Two, so a okay. little bit before okay, the fifties. Yeah. Okay, cool. but um. Allegedly, allegedly, yeah, alleged, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> the government was trying to make this battleship invisible. And instead, I mean, we could talk right? about Albilic, <laughs> right? <laughs> or uh, Allende, Allende, Carl yeah. Allende, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the ship, instead of vanishing from sight, just completely vanished and reappeared somewhere else before reappearing back where it started. So it's amazing to me to think this book just vanished out of the material realm and then reappeared where it should have been. Wow. I only... now, now get this a little while later, the Bermuda triangle book vanished entirely no. and it no. never came back. What? <laughs> yep. That is really, I mean, that is like a very weird, high, strange experience. It really is, but it sounds like a joke. It does. Like sound if like I a tried joke. to, if I try to sum that up briefly and talk about how the Philadelphia experiment vanished, but then came back, but then my Bermuda Triangle book vanished, and I don't think it's coming back. Yeah, and it's like it sounds like it's so absurd that it sounds like I'm just making a dumb joke. But it does. I mean, I mean it, it really does. But but that's what Scouts Honor so, that totally happened. But you know, but again, like you know, that's why I the operative word is high strange. Like the a lot of a lot of high strangeness is like. If you're going to try to make something believable, like to sell a, a lie or a bit, 
you don't make it as cute as that. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, if like, if you were going to tell me like, you know, hey, I'm going to make up a, an app port uh, experience to Steve, you wouldn't do it that organized. <laughs> like yeah. where it, the metaphor is so rich, you know, like, <laughs> right. God, that's yeah, amazing. I mean, it's almost as it's almost as involved as some of like the weird synchronicities that I end up dealing with constantly. And um, I've been accused of being like a synchronicity generator or a well, sync machine. And yeah, and I, I had one when I asked you on the show or you had one. Oh, right. when I asked you to come on the show. Remember? Yeah, I had just finished talking, listening to you and Tim talk on Conspiranormal. Like right. I, I had been listening in the truck, came home. And the next thing I know, I look at my phone and I have a message from you. Yeah. <laughs> and while I'm responding to your message, Tim Benal hits me up too. And I'm just like, this is unreal. You that guys. is really but weird. That's, that's a pretty mild one though, for me. That's... I mean, that, that would be, that would be, that would be very big for me. I would think that would be big for most people. So like, how often do you. Well, it's, it's a big deal that I'm talking to you and Tim because you guys are both great and Aww, awesome man. people, and I'm happy to know you. That oh, dude, I'm cool. happy to know you. But... I'm thrilled. Like, well, you know, just, this isn't the first time AP and I have spoke about. Oh gosh, I think it was right before the holiday season. Um, you you called me and you know you had a, had a couple of questions and we ta- ended up talking for like an hour, man, and it was just like such a such a pleasure. I thought you were such a kindred spirit, you know. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, I think we actually talked like almost two, two, a little more than two hours, and oh, I was like, man. that flew by. <laughs> I'm like, where did those two hours? Go? Like, really, that's missing time for you right there. It really <laughs> is. Well, I mean, like, oh gosh, I can I can talk about this stuff, you know, for so long, and I'm here. I am trying to do like a hour long podcast, which to me feels short. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe eventually, I'm probably going to have to drag this on because I like yeah. to ramble. As you guys are all, you'll get the hang of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll feel that. Yeah, I'm new to this. I've been a guest on a lot of things, but I've never driven a show, so it's tough. Well, I wanted to commend you on that, by the way, because there's not enough podcasts out there. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> the world needed one more. Look, look, man. I woke up. I, I had this like epiphany. I'm like, you know what I can do? I can really help the world by creating a brand new paranormal podcast. We need more. We need more options because I can't get to you know like I it's like I get to all of them so easily during the week anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. You listen to them all and then you have to re- start over, listen Ex- to them again because <laughs> Exactly. No, I mean honestly though this is just it, I mean, it's a very self-serving thing where I love being on podcasts that talk about these topics that I love so much and I want an excuse to talk to the people like you, <laughs> you know, and yeah. now I have one. I just can't call people. It's, I mean, it's so fun to me. Um let me ask you a couple. I, you know, I wrote down a couple of questions. You know, we don't. I don't want it to be like too overly organized. Um, but I, before I, 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 you know, get to some of those, I do want to talk about this concept of you being like a synchro machine or a synchro. Mm-hmm. Like, when? How long have you been recognizing this as synchronicities? I actually have this theory that synchronicities are being accelerated because more people know about them, and the more people are aware mm-hmm. of them. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. That, that's just my, I feel like the you know, five even five years ago, that wasn't a word that was in even like the paranormal zeitgeist that much. You know, it was like now synchronicity is almost a household thing. I think. Well, it was more on the uh, marginalia mm-hmm. of Fortiana, and uh, I, I think you know, Keel would talk about synchronicities, or um, and it seemed like a lot of people that are still around from that wrote back in the sixties and seventies 
kind of refer to that as kind of their their Jungian days. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them considered it like a phase they went through and then got out of it or right, whatever. Right, 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 right. But, but it was there. I mean, Ted Holliday would talk about the synchronicities. Uh, Ray Fowler has a whole book on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was always kind of adjacent to the paranormal stuff, but I, th- I think there's a couple different kinds of paranormal writers that some of them immerse themselves in it and put themselves in the story and are willing to include that stuff that sounds unbelievable that they personally experienced. Right. And then there's those that will leave that out of it because they don't want to, they, they, they don't want to have, they don't want to undermine their credibility in, in the telling of it. Yeah. Know? Well, yeah, it's, it, it, it's funny because the people who immerse themselves in it, those are kind of the people I'm drawn to, I guess. Like, you know, most people think that, oh, Valet is this, you know, science, computer science guy, but, but he completely immerses himself in it. I mean, he even talks about the huge synchronicity in Messengers of Deception with Machezeldeck, you know, and the taxi oh, yeah. cab at the end. And like, you know, I mean, he's yeah, a guy and, who, that, yeah. Yeah, that stuff can either make you feel really paranoid and make you go off the deep end, or it can just kind of intrigue you and be a thread that you want to pull on. Right. You know, and it, 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 you know and, 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 I mean, I love Keel, obviously. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's obvious, but I do love Keel, and I love that he threw himself, immersed himself in a you know Gonzo journalism style almost. And mm-hmm. he had so many synchronicities, and a lot of the letters I've read, you know, it seems like he it did almost drive him off the deep end. If it actually didn't, you know, for a little while, right? You know, he, he was pushed to the brink, man. He was he was paranoid. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard not to be sometimes, you know. For sure. Um, uh. My paranoia has generally served me well in yeah. my lifetime. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, so obviously, like, does something precipitate it in your life? Like, you know, is it, is it like if you're going through maybe like a phase of liminality, you know, change, you're moving, you're changing your job, new relationship, blah, blah, blah. Does that make them spike? Have you noticed any pattern or correlation with like when these tend to happen more or more powerfully? Yeah. Um, sometimes there's, uh, yeah, during he- heightened emotional times, mm-hmm. uh, that's certainly where I'm paying attention to them more too. Right. If I feel a little bit lost, um, and it, it seems like there just will be repeated images and they don't necessarily mean anything for the situation I'm in, but, uh, the fact that it keeps repeating means that I need to pay attention or something significant is happening at that moment, yep. you know? So an example of that would be about a year ago, I was, I was in a really bad job situation, like a very toxic work environment. Um, just like working for a guy that was impossible, you know? Uh, and it was a family business. So it was all complicated because I had originally worked for his brother and his brother wasn't there anymore and a whole mess, but other family members were there that I liked. I liked everybody else in the company except the owner. And I had to deal with him every day, you know? Um, so uh, it, it was rough. And it was the kind of thing where I was being torn emotionally, where the people that I liked there, even other family members there, would say stuff to me like, oh, I like consider you like a member of the family. And I'd just be like, <laughs> like I feel so bad. Yeah, you're making you're a good guy, time. but I got to get out of here. Yeah, like, like your uncle is killing me, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I had the I had a ton of I, I just piled up one day and they they were all Batman synchronicities, just really bizarre. The, when I woke up that morning, I was in a foul mood, knowing I had to go to work, 
and I had guys in charge of me that I, I was in charge of. So I was in a, like a middle manager sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew I had to meet one of these guys and I knew I was going to be hearing from another guy. I had to cover another guy that was out and I was dreading having to talk to my boss. And um, I, uh, I, I woke up in the morning, start scrolling through. I found a meme and it's like, whatever is happening today, try to meet it with the enthusiasm of a five-year-old boy wearing a Batman t-shirt or a Batman costume. <laughs> I like that. And I was like, hell yeah, uh-huh. that's what I'm going to do. You know what? Like I'm in a terrible mood today, but I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to be Batman. Like <laughs> I'm going to be a five-year-old kid pretending to be Batman. That's my attitude. Like I own today. Like I am, I am the bat, you know? Um, so I made up my mind like already, like I share this on Twitter and I think the act of sharing things online, this gets a little further out there, but I think sometimes when you share something online with the intent, you're putting it out into the universe, like kind of literally. Yeah, you are. You're putting it into the um, digital universe. <laughs> so you manifest it a little more. So when I really want something, sometimes I'll put that, I'll, 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 I'll disguise tweets that I have as little magical things that I'm doing. Little fidgets. Um, it's almost a form of fidget magic yeah. in a way. Yeah. Wonderful. Right. Yeah. So, um, I made up my mind, like, all right, so tonight when I go out with my wife, I'm going to wear my Batman shirt. Like, I already had that in my head. Like, I'm planning, going out tonight, I'm going to wear the Batman shirt. So I go to work. uh, I get a call from one of the guys that works under me. And while he's talking to me on the phone about some issue he's having, somebody comes up and interrupts him and starts asking him a bunch of questions. And um, I can hear the guy in the background. And I hear him say, say my name. And I was like, wait, who are you talking to? It was a guy that used to work at the company with me. So it was like another ghost of the company's past coming back to back when it was still good there, right. you know, revisiting me. And it, I talked to him and caught up with him for a while. And then I realized when I got off the phone that we used to call him Batman. That was like his nickname at work. Okay. <laughs> I hadn't seen him in years. He just happened to be in a parking lot walking through and saw the guy wearing the company uniform and went over and talked to him. And happened to notice he was on the phone with me and I caught up with him what? and it was just this surreal moment where he just gave me like vague advice uh, and not really knowing what was going on at the company anymore. And I was just like sitting in my truck going like, Oh my God, like the Batman. I just got the advice from the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is crazy. Was it good advice? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was ominous. He basically said, you never know what's going to come around the corner. And uh, he was he had left the company because he fell off a roof while at work. <laughs> Legit reason himself. to leave any company <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, he just wasn't really right after that. But yeah, um, yeah, fair. Yeah. Uh, uh, but so it was kind of ominous. Like, yeah, you really don't know what's around the corner. Like, could be fine one day and then in the hospital the next day. So um, it's true. So, uh, all right. So then I go home and I'm already mind blown by some of this, but, um, get, get home, take a shower. My wife and I go out, decide to go to a pizza place that we hadn't been to in a while. And it's like, you know, fancy pizza and they have cocktails there. So I look at their cocktail menu and I'm zeroing in on the whiskey cocktail. Mm-hmm. What do we got for whiskey? Cause those are the only cocktails I usually drink. Right. The only whiskey cocktail they had was called the Gotham. 
it was basically a type of Manhattan, but they called it the Gotham and made little like glib Batman references in the description of it. You got this drink, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> was it good? And sat there and drank it in my Batman t shirt. <laughs> As you just got a sage advice from Batman. Yeah. Because I started out my day deciding to meet it with the enthusiasm of, fi- of a five-year-old kid wearing a Batman costume. Wow. That is really, that, that is, such, that's really wonderful. That's like a ha- very happy story too, I think. Well, I mean, it was a tough time, Yeah, but that all culminated and worked towards and rolled into some other synchronicities that were going on that led to me finding a way out of that job and into a different job, you know? Like I ended up leaving the company pretty soon thereafter. Like I had a path toward getting out. Right. But, but, and I, and I don't know what that necessarily has to do with the character of Batman or what that symbolically means. Maybe it means courage, you know, I mean, uh, you know, courage to make the proper change you need to. Maybe it was the little spark, the big bang of your change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was the hero Gotham needed at the moment. Yeah, I think you were, man. <laughs> Cleaning up the city, brother. <laughs> That's, so, you know, and, th- and that is actually one thing um, I, I kind of think about, you know, like, because I have heard times where people have these synchronicities that have kind of a negative, or at least what they're interpreting as sort of is not always like positive. You know, I think a lot of times mm-hmm. I always kind of think of, or at least, like you know, initially my mind goes to when people say synchronicities. I'm like, oh, that's cool, that's a good thing. And some I've had known people are like, not really. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. great. So, is it? Do you think since you have these fairly regularly, and you've had, I don't know, has this been happening your whole life, or is it just kind of like in your adult life? Oh, it's hard to say. I think I've started noticing or you know tracking them a little better right. in recent years, right. but um. I used to not really even think that much of it. Yeah. Um, at least I didn't think of it in the, t- in terms of synchronicity. I thought of it as just basically the interconnectedness of all things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to think of things in terms of causality and what, what had to happen to lead you to a moment where there was some amazing coincidence. It is because so w- what I spend a lot of my time doing is, and it probably it's going to sound ridiculous but you track little things you decided to do little things that deviated and you notice things in your environment that um are indicative of something that somebody else did or you know if you think about arriving at a place think about all the little things that slowed you down from getting there the guy that was driving too slow in front of you the traffic light that wasn't working right um you know, the fact that, you know, you had to take a leak and you pulled off real quick and <laughs> went to do a gas station mm-hmm. or something, you know, and it's all these little factors of life outside influences and things within yourself that lead to you being at any particular time and place at the time you get there. You know, when you start thinking of things in terms of causality and you start um, noticing patterns, it, 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 you, you start to have a different vista from which to view reality itself and how it all works, how it all ties together. Right. So that's more over what I do. I don't see synchronicities as being uh, good or bad. Right. They're just, when they pile up and they become more intense, it just means something important. 
you know? <laughs> it, it does. And, you know, it's like, it, you know, and I, I don't know, I don't want to get like too tangentialized too much, but Eric Wargo's book, which I have not finished, I'll, I'll admit, I, I, it is a hard, it's a hard, it's not an easy read, but it's very rewarding. His, you know, his kind of idea of retro causality and mm-hmm. synchronicity is just, do you think that's like a symptom of retro causality? I know that's a question that's kind of hard to, to yeah, answer. Yeah, I absolutely but, do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was inspired to use a line in one of the things I wrote recently that time is a corkscrew, albeit a rubber one, right. capable of bending and meeting itself at different junctures. Right. So there are future events that cast a shadow behind them. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's ripple effects from things we're doing now that can affect the past. Right. And obviously, everything we're doing right now affects the future. Yes. So. That, uh, where I where I differ from Margo is I don't think the universe is as deterministic as he seems to think it is. Mm-hmm. He seems to posit that we don't really have free will. That that's I mean that's to be in you know like truly like and I don't know where I stand on that, but like that is one of the troubling things about his book because I don't know if anyone's comfortable with the idea that we don't have free will, right? Or maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe people just like what let Jesus take the wheel doesn't matter anyways. Yeah. For me, that it's you know like to me that's like kind of this like you know existential nightmare of oh I don't have control of anything, you know like that right. that would drive me over the edge if I believe that I don't believe that, but you know. Um, but that that was I choose not to believe I, that. Yeah, yeah, and obviously that is a choice. I, I just feel like it's I don't know. I I feel like it's maybe can be a sort of like scary way to live. Like if you think it's all what does it matter what I do? You know, like I don't know. I, I do like I think there may be some of what we do. I think there might be some some degree of humanity that maybe is already has their path cut out for them and they don't resist and they don't change. Hmm. And there's not even really necessarily anything wrong with that. I think the act of magic, as uh, you know, Crowley would have defined it as imposing your will to affect change. Right. So when you are willfully changing and you're actually doing something magic, magical, um, that's just all. All that is is free will. Right. That's entirely just um, pushing against the idea of a deterministic letting uh letting fate just choose for you that was a beautiful um, distillation of that by the way a very complicated day. <laughs> that was wonderful I used to... well i think I'm... i think about this stuff a lot yeah so. <laughs> I guess no but that was that was wonderful i mean like that i mean like I, that would have taken me probably 10 minutes to describe that exact concept um but that that All is right. interesting yeah i mean i guess that is what like you know i i'm i'm you know i've read about crowley i've never read um, any of his work, to be honest. And I'm just starting to read a little Kenneth Grant, which I think is really fun. I'm reading The Mob Zone right now. Beyond The Mob Zone. Nice. It's pretty fun. But um, it, it does seem like that is kind of like w- what essentially what sigil magic is. That's the only thing I'm really familiar with, where you're just trying to decrease randomness. Right? You're just trying to, yeah, you're just trying to pull the odds in your favor. Yeah. Maybe the randomness was yeah, not I mean, the way to put it, but it does seem like there's random, like, you know, if, if some, you know, if the world is, or our lives or time is deterministic, there's, there's no way to influence <laughs> it. And there's no way to know that. So just to hedge your bet, maybe we'll try to bend it a little bit and push it our way. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's definitely a lot to be said for the Taoist concepts which can be most easily distilled to go with the flow. Yeah. 
there's there is a natural flow to the universe and there's there's ebbs and tides and certain changes that are always going to go a certain way and when you're fighting against it uh it's 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 a real fight so you use the forces that are around you to to the um to your best advantage right so um and that means kind of being uh, open to novelty right and you can't like in you know it, it, it's like it maybe it's you know just even break it down to more like domestic terms like to in, as times change and ebbs and flows and like to even inflict your routine <laughs> you know like when as times are changing like maybe is you know a harmful thing i think maybe you just always have to be like adapting yeah i mean adapt adaptation is is a huge part yeah. of it for sure yep adjustments people yeah um well people don't like change it's scary it Um, is i mean i mean like you know i i feel like there's like a primal thing where we're resistant to any kind of change initially but like you know some people have less less shock with it i am a person who definitely craves novelty if things get too samey or like i fall into too many routines it definitely causes um (laughs) causes problems for me yeah but I yeah. suppose too much novelty could be also scary. By the way, balance, balance probably is key. Yeah, balance is important. I mean, for me, I, I find routine to be very helpful, and mm-hmm. because um, you know a daily routine of anything, just even just basic hygiene and upkeep of your house and having your ducks in a row, <laughs> that that is its own form of ritual. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely, and it makes you feel more secure in your environment mm-hmm. because you're always on top of these yeah. things, you know, and then uh, reduces anxiety. So it's it's for me, I, I have certain things that I always do, sort of in a certain order. You know? Yes, most definitely, <laughs> most definitely. Yeah, and if I'm in a hurry and can't for some reason, it really throws me way off. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um let me let me ask you this um because i'm i'm super fascinated um late last couple years i i'm well i moved back to nebraska like um i mean almost two years ago from la which i lived uh for 20 years and since then Mm -hmm. i've just been obsessively like trying to track down you know any kind of Fordian, you know story material folklore you know local myths and legends urban legends whatever you want to call it you're a man have you are you, have you, Massachusetts is where you live. I don't know if I, maybe I shouldn't give anything away. You live in the, somewhere. No, people know I okay. live in Massachusetts. Okay, I didn't mean to so. call you out. I didn't mean to dox you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure everybody knows okay. I live in okay. Massachusetts. So I talk about it. I live in the Worcester area. So, um, do you, like, I guess my question, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't even like phrase my question, but like, is there a story that, you love the most like a hometown story from your from your state that just like is endearing to you for all the right reasons uh hometown or you know like i guess Um, the general you know even just state of massachusetts oh okay well i mean massachusetts is a pretty like all through new england we have we have tons of spooky stuff it's almost not fair yeah you have a ton of your bridgewater triangle man (laughs) Yeah, um, well, the Bridgewater Triangle is a really popular one nowadays, uh-huh. um, and honestly, like that's 
that's kind of a boondoggle in a way because there are certain spots within it that uh that that you could point to as being significant but it covers a wide swath of land in the south uh you know south of boston area mm-hmm. so um <laughs> uh it, the, the, like i said there's like dighton rock and there's the overlook where people feel drawn to jump off and stuff Whoa. like that but um the as far as Pukwaji reports go and ufo sightings and the phantom hitchhiker uh, it's all spread out over like a really wide area. So, yeah, so, so you guys um, are one of the, like, there's like, I think oh, I, there's not many states that have like a, you know, a, a fair amount of Pukwudgie in, Ma- in Massachusetts is one of them. Indian, Indiana, I think is another one. And there's another one that well, you, my, my, under, my understanding of Pukwudgies is that that was a specific, specific to a tribe that was in the uh-huh. area. So and I don't recall off the top of my head which one it was. But, so is, is um, there, what's the last one you remember? Like, was there like a time where the puck wedgie was, you know, a, fla- a puck wedgie flap per se? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, so I live where I live is not really close to those areas. Right. Um, uh, I think most of the puck wedgie sightings are kind of more close to Bridgewater itself mm. in Easton and like the wooded areas around Hockamock Swamp. Mm. Um, the Hockamock kind of extends into Bellingham, which isn't too far from where I am, but um, and Upton, but uh, it, you know that still I, I I've never had personal experiences with it, and I don't hear about reports that often. Right. I know that somebody spoke to uh, Betty Hill at one point, like just kind of experiencer to experiencer and told her about an Island, uh, somewhere in a swamp, um, where the, where the little people supposedly live. So <laughs> wait, Betty Hill told um, this other, other contactee that somebody reported it to Betty Hill No, because kidding. they figured she was an experiencer. And oh, she would okay. I got that, you. you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, for a second, I thought you yeah. were gonna, you were so, saying that Betty Hill saw a puck. Was I'm like, whoa! How do we not know about this? <laughs> That's a pretty uh, big. She wrinkle. may have. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe but, she did. <laughs> yeah, I think she did a little bit of her own story collecting and in investigating later in life. I'm not sure, but I think people were sending her stories just because they felt like she might be somebody that would understand. Right. You know, like pre podcast era. You know, people <laughs> people looking for somebody to believe them, and you know, yeah, but um. But yeah, so I've heard stories about. Uh, I have a couple places written down somewhere as 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 a place to go investigate at some point and see if I can find a puck. Oh man, but, I would do anything to join you. Yeah. Wow, that sounds incredible. <laughs> see, the, the thing is, the Hakamask Swamp is pretty dangerous. Like, it's a dangerous place if you don't know what you're like, doing. Like, wh- why? Why? So. Just the terrain, just natural dangers. You could you could get stuck in the mud oh, or yeah. get lost, or Oof. you know you, you want you'd want somebody that knows the area to go around with Look, you. I mean, like I'm not an expert woods woodsman or anything like that. I'm so probably <laughs> one of those. You know, I don't know if you can identify with this, but after seeing Neverending Story as a kid and Artex going in the mud, I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I might be out on this one, man. <laughs> I don't get stuck in the mud. You immediately lost me after the mud. It was like, well, some rocks, some boulders. Right. I can do that, but mud. Well, 
I mean, that is the legend with the puck wedgies too, is they get you to follow them and then you, you never come back. Well, so you don't really know what happens to people that end up following. Yeah. I mean, it know? seems like a lot of the traits so. in folklore around them is pretty similar to a lot of the Fae stuff. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. Will yeah. the Wisp, you know, like it's the Native American version of the Fae. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'm actually kind of um, investigating. Gosh, I'll probably talk about this so much and everyone will get tired of it. But I have, I'm, um, Kind of my first investigation I've been on since I've been here is this guy who had a pretty dramatic Bigfoot sighting in like a cornfield where he hunts about an hour away from where I live. And I I have reason to believe, I guess, that he believes what he's telling me. You know, I, I don't know what he actually, if, you know, I have no evidence that he saw anything. But one interesting thing was that the farmer who owns all the property around there said, oh, yeah, we've been seeing blue lights for over a hundred years. He's like, I'm the third generation, you know, person to own this land. And yeah, the blue lights are just mm. part of it. I'm like, Whoa, that's weird. Wow. He hadn't heard anything about Bigfoot. He didn't know about that, but he's like, he, when he, when he was talking about it, he was like, Oh, it's no big deal. It's just, yeah, we have these things. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I mean, closer to me, just, you know, north of Worcester is is Lemonster, where we have Lemonster State Forest, and there's apparently a lot of Bigfoot sightings there, which is strange because I never heard of that growing up. But they also have like red lights, yep. like red orbs that float through the woods and there stuff. We um, there we go. So I guess the idea is that a uh, Bigfoot can transform into an orb and then fly away, and well, <laughs> a red orb. You know? I mean, you know, but so. it, is, it is. I mean, like. Obviously, you know, it's just very fun to speculate and talk about this stuff. But you, I do think a lot about orbs, like, possibly being, like, the raw form of a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> like, 40 and stuff. Because, I mean, like, with ghosts, you know, a lot of times before ghost setting, after, or part of it is orbs, uh, UFOs, mm-hmm. Bigfoot, I mean, crypt- And electronic disturbances, Yeah, like right? an EMF, like, little, almost like an earthquake light. So maybe, like, you know, Paul Devereaux, uh, you know, the... British, uh, you know, kind of, he's not a 40 and he's more of a, ugh, how would you describe him? He talks, of, you know, he studies like ley lines and a lot of that kind of stuff, but he has a book mm-hmm. called Earth Lights. And that's what he, he yep. kind of, you know, posits that a lot of the stuff is it's intelligent, like plasma light. Which right. I think I, yeah. I and um, Dr. Greg Little has talked yes. about the same idea. Absolutely. I yep. just, I read his book this year, Origins of the Gods, and that he wrote with Colin Andrews. I thought it was fantastic. I really did. I, Especially his section. Yeah. I think he is a criminally underrated person. Even though I know he he's kind of, you know, he's part of the 40 world, but he's also kind of in like, you know, the adventure archaeological world. But like, to me, Origins of the Gods is one of the best modern 40 books I've read, I think. That was beautiful. He, he is such a smart dude. Yeah, he was a fucking smart yeah, guy. Yeah, and all the documentation <laughs> you know? of the mounds is so cool. Yeah. People of the Web is such a good book. Yeah, highly recommend uh, looking into Greg Little, folks. He is the real deal. Do you have a favorite UFO case in Massachusetts? There's been quite a few. In Massachusetts? Um, hmm. Well, we have the earliest UFO cases. Really? Uh, like reported. Yeah, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, there were... Um, there, there were lights seen recorded by uh, Winthrop, I think. Yeah, Governor Winthrop. He was in the 1600s. We're going way back what? to the 1600s. And uh, they were kind of attributed as like witch lights. 
So sometimes people thought that was had to do with witches or or um, or the ghosts of people that died at sea because they were seen over Boston Bay Harbor. Oh you Lord. know, and Valet talks about this in one of his books, where there were a couple people on a boat, and I I, I think it it was um, I don't think it was the Charles River, but it was it was a river off of the Charles coming from Boston Bay. And they saw this light in the sky and then seemed to have had missing time and ended up further upstream from where they were afterward. And this like in the 1500s. <laughs> like against the current. Yeah. And this was recorded by the, the governor of the Bay Colony in the 1600s. I'm guessing it was probably Wonders in the Sky, that, that book he wrote with uh, Chris Abach, uh, where they talked yes, about Yes, I believe that's the one. Yep. That's what they talk about, yep. stuff like that in antiquity. It's, it's, yep. So if you look through that, you'll see the story in there. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the, the first officially recorded UFO sighting in, in the United States. Uh, that's pretty big. I'd be very then. proud of that. Well, you, you guys are a much older. <laughs> Nebraska, we're, we're, we're a very, we're a baby state. We were only founded, you know, you know, not even, not even 200 years ago. But we had, we had big yeah. flaps in the 18, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love airships. Yeah, I mean, the house I grew up in was built in 1779. That is crazy. So, uh, That's so, I love it. Oh, man, the East yeah. has so much history. You guys are so rich with history. So, yeah, we got a crazy amount of history. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's, I travel all over. That was a great answer to a UFO case because I didn't know. 1600s? What? That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Let me um, – because, you know, you, 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 you have a good historical knowledge of – a lot of this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. if you were to give two books from your collection of somebody who, like, you know, to a 40, not just someone who's into UFOs and not someone who's just into cryptozoology, someone who's into all of it. If you were to give them two books to read right now in 2023, what would they be? It's a tough question. Very tough mm. question. I'm really putting you on the spot here. Yeah, it's a high pressure situation. <laughs> I mean, like I ask you, I, I ask you this question. I'm like, I don't even know what it would be. I would say, yeah. I mean, honestly, so we're talking about somebody that already is a little bit well versed. Yeah, in some they of this like stuff, it. They're and... into it. You know, they've you know they've seen a James Fox doc or two. You know, they've got their beef right. wet. You know, like. I... I started as a kid with like the Reader's Digest, uh, Mysteries of the Unexplained book. And honestly, like I revisit it all the time. And I'm like, for somebody that just wants a broad scope of things, just having little bite-sized snippets yep. that cover that run the gamut. Yep. From the Loch Ness Monster to spontaneous human combustion and everything in between. Right. Like that is a fine book. Right. Like people see Reader's Digest and they think, oh, okay, well, this is just you know, like light fair. Yeah. But no, these are direct excerpts from compiled from, you know, newspaper accounts, uh, all the books that we like. Yeah. Know, I mean, they probably have some, like, um, Colin all of that Wilson stuff in there, you know, like <laughs> Colin. Yeah. Colin Wilson pops up throughout it. Janet and Colin board, you know, uh, John Keel is mentioned in there. Uh, the UFO section is great. Wow. And, and, and the coincidences and synchronicities section is fascinating in that book. See, I, um, I did not, I did not have that book as a kid. I, I had the time life series, which was kind of the same thing. Right. But... Everybody talks about those. I had those too, but the, the reader's digest one was one volume Ooh. and, uh, and, and it just had all of this stuff in it. 
like I remember being fascinated by uh, spontaneous human combustion. Me too. Um, I was actually nervous about it. And the section, uh, yeah, yeah, I was always worried it would happen me too, to me. Me too. I remember reading like a, like an <laughs> overweight lady at a buffet on a cruise, like, like you know, combusted. I was like, that could happen to me. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and the section on um, demonic possession and exorcism like freaked me out. That was the that was the only part of the book that scared me. Yeah as a kid yeah but um uh yeah no i think that that just kind of because from there as a kid when i read it, it that that opened my eyes to people like um like jb and louisa ryan because mm-hmm. i was experiencing poltergeist stuff so i i felt like the parapsychology way or of uh investigating psi and esp and the experiments they did um, was really inspirational to me as a kid. Can I pick up there? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so in thinking about Sandown, Sam, beyond recording the episode, because the details are relatively scant, we have the basic facts of the story, but there was never really any follow-up or anybody else seeing him. Um, So, I mean, you're, you can either let it lie there or you can think about it further. And uh, I've ended up thinking about it a lot more because uh, like, um, you know, the placement, the Isle of Wight, that was also where there was a pretty large festival in the UK a couple of years before the incident in 73 with uh, Sandown Sam. So uh, my idea about that was that like there could have been a psychical imprint, a psychedelic psychical imprint from music fans and goers of the festival, like uh, Sandown Sam or All Colors Sam may have just been uh, a residual bad trip still haunting the environment. <laughs> or maybe, I love that. Or maybe a good trip, you know, who knows? Like, yeah. Fumbling <laughs> with a book. That's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, exactly. Some people might love that yeah. type of clown. Because, <laughs> I mean, what made me think of it was um, there was kind of an occult revival going on around that time, especially in popular culture and music. But also, um, it, Sam struck me as kind of more of a nature spirit anyway. And I think that, you know, I can think of two popular psychedelic songs from the era that use Sam in association with the devil as like a nature devil more, you know. So you had um, Lucifer Sam by Pink Floyd as one song, but also wow. the band uh, Black Widow was like, they made their their na- a name for themselves as like the pagan band of the era. And uh, they have this uh, song called Come to the Sabbath. And the, their big splash that they made was at the Isle of Wight Festival. Um, that is interesting. The repeating chorus is come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan, Sam. And it's like chanted over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> wow i am ju- writing down both these songs i'm gonna listen to them tonight i'm gonna link them yeah. <laughs> this, those are must hear <laughs> oh that, it's a wicked cool song i like it it's it's a good song you know you the, the the psychedelic imprint that is such a good thread to pull on because it does seem like these you know like obviously seeing music is you're in a heightened state you know like whether you're on drugs or not like you know 
music can have that kind of transcendental, almost peak experience type of, you know, emotional feeling. And so, right. Yeah. A lot of times with these high strange encounters that happens as well. So exactly. And I think that that's, that gets to the single mindedness of a lot of people when it comes to ghosts and hauntings and the sort of thing is that fear and trauma always seem to take center stage. So, and even when you're talking about an ancient site, it's always a site where a battle happened or a site where there was ritual human sacrifice. But um, our modern version of ritual is dancing. Like for 1970, it would have been dancing to the music and um, taking drugs and and love making in the weeds. (laughs) No, I mean, you're 100% right. It truly is just like an old Druidic ritual. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a Dionysian. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And, you, you know, I almost wonder, it's like that, that you also bring, you bring up a lot of great points, but, um, you know, when, oh God, like what, it's like whatever, like, because you, you're, you're right. You do not hear of many of these haunted sites or, or purported high strange like locations where something beautiful happened <laughs> or like, or there was a lot of love in the area. Usually it is kind of like, you're right, like war or you know, someone was murdered in this house and now they're haunting it, you know, like it's never like a positive thing. Yeah. Yep. And that, that but you might've just found the first example. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that kind of gets to the, the idea that it's like, you know, the heightened experience and the heightened emotion, regardless of which emotion it is, you know? So I also think, because I'm of several minds about this, that the absurdity and the genuinely hilarious, odd things that happen um, have a have have a way of shocking the system. So um, uh, there's a there's the fight or flight, but there's also a, a third state that's less often talked about, which is you just freeze, like you're frozen because you don't know what to do with with the absurdity that you're you're uh faced with so that's right yeah so i mean uh, i i think i think these end up being breakthrough experiences for people and kind of initiations right you know yeah so. and you know and you're right and I, I actually even you could almost even go and say like a concert like that for a lot of people was probably an initiatory experience you know like you're you know i i can think of even that even like performing comedy the first time i ever did it i felt like i was being initiated for sure. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, you know, like, it's like, you've never done this. You're performing in front of an audience. You're in order to elicit a laugh. You get the laugh and that initiated me. It changed me. You know, I was different the next day. Yeah. And I feel like with a lot of these experiences, you, you know, in, in terms of the people I've spoken to personally and read about, it seems very rare that these people aren't, you know, not everyone has changed dramatically, but there is a process of change that usually kind of usually happens. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think my, my goal and mission is to discover like the actual magic behind humor or how, how those things are intrinsically <laughs> related. Right. You know, I think that laughter yeah. is a very, very important thing. Um, I do, too. Sp- I do too. Spreading joy and positivity is kind of the most powerful magic you can, you, <laughs> you can muster if you can do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. And you know, and there is there's a, there is a wonderful thing about comedy that, um, you know, and obviously you can watch a TV show or you know and laugh by yourself. But like, there is, 
I do still believe, and maybe I'm old-fashioned, that comedy is always, is not always, but is best experienced in a communal environment. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's something about laughing with people in a movie theater or at a show or even just, you know, you're sitting around grabbing lunch, someone says something funny, you all laugh together. There's, like, a... You can almost feel like the alchemical shift in your body. Yeah, like, yeah. It feels really good. I mean, I, I gotta say, if you haven't laughed until you cried recently, find time to do that because <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do it regularly. Like <laughs> if I find yes. something funny enough, I will let myself laugh until I'm crying. You know, I'll just let it. Right. Go. <laughs> well, there, there is, there is that laugh therapy that I think don't like the. I'm not studied in world religions but is it like the buddhist monks who have like don't they have some kind of like laugh therapy and maybe it's not buddhism but like it's <laughs> there are like a group of monks who get together and laugh and they like force themselves to laugh as a way to achieve like a higher state I, yeah i think i've heard of that yeah for sure yeah well i mean in preparing yeah. for the episode we were talking about earlier of our strange skies i was stephanie quick and i back channel were talking a lot about like sacred clowns and like traditions of sacred clowns and in, in different cultures, you know, of course there's native American ones that people have heard of. Um, and, and they serve a very, uh, a, a very important purpose in the, in the ritual and the community setting, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not always funny. Sometimes it can be upsetting or <laughs> they're there to kind of, um, to, uh, <clears throat> upset the balance a bit you know right um, right it's that trickster or element. even there sometimes they're there to be humiliated for other people to laugh at right. <laughs> like it's not you know like i think of like the court jester where sometimes they would just like you know at least in movies and books uh, fantasy books i've read they've used the court jesters a lot of times to humiliate them and then everyone laughs at their humiliation which it's a different kind of laughter, you know, right. or shot on Freudian. <laughs> but they're also able to say things to and about the king that nobody else can say, you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They get a roast a king. Who else can do that? <laughs> yeah. it, reminds me of a, it reminds me of a story about Don Rickles. I don't know if you ever heard this one before. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this always cracks me up like he was friends with frank sinatra obviously and uh you know that's frank wasn't the kind of guy he wanted to cross in hollywood so he was on a date mm-hmm. and he asked if he, he privately asked frank sinatra to come over and say hi to impress his date and just that you know i know frank sinatra so um when he's sitting down to eat and frank walks over to the table and he said he says hi don how you doing and it <laughs> Rickles immediately stands up. He's like, what are you doing, Frank? Can't you see I'm trying to have a date here? I'm trying to eat dinner with most people. You can't be barging in like this. Get out of here. Well, I, yeah, and he must have had a couple punches thrown at him, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he was great. Yeah. AP, thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me your time and coming back on so we could finish this up. And I'm really excited we got to talk about the com- comedic aspect to all the stuff because i know you like me really find that part super fascinating right. so yeah truly appreciate it, brother yeah well i'm glad that we linked up again to do this it's always a pleasure to talk to you steve oh man you too ap you too buddy you have a superb is there anything you um that you have coming up recently that you would like to plug um well no i mean just check out my blog i got apstrange.com just over yep. there I got my yep, recent, I um, for sure. 
my recent closing of the clown portal ritual blog post is up there <laughs> you can see some real life clown wizardry going on <laughs> <laughs> People, that is required reading too. And then there will be a real fresh hot link for everyone to go follow uh, to find that story in some of other uh, AP's other wonderful blog posts. And you can, you want to put out your social media stuff? It's Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I'm easy enough to find on Twitter. Um, yeah. Just AP strange there. You can do the handle. It's at a prodigiosis. So, um, but if you just search AP strange, I'm pretty sure I pop up. So <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you and you do a great job of posting uh interesting stuff and hilarious stuff. So you're one of my favorite followers on Twitter. Oh man, that's great to hear. <laughs> yeah. That's how I discovered you. I'm, i I saw someone else retweet something you did. I'm like, oh this guy's hilarious. <laughs> like <laughs> he's using a lens that I really respect by look, the way he looks at the stuff. So dude, I'm I'm happy you and I connected and you know, now we're chatting buddies. This is it's very special to me. I do appreciate it. Oh man, yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> Uh, right on man alright everyone thank you so much for listening this has been AP Strange and you will find all his information in the link below thank you very much and have a great night